0: Well, the the solidarity and the resilience that Afghan women demonstrate, they really have to demonstrate it together.
1: And it's a lot easier, I think,
0: to to be resilient if you're not alone.
1: Welcome to the Confident Podcast with me, Sherry West, and my fearless daughter, Olivia. Season five brings us more conversations with fierce female leaders. We'll be tackling a range of career readiness and leadership topics ranging from defining your career purpose to leveraging your superpowers and exploring key questions like, is it okay to cry in the boardroom?
2: Episode five, Amplifying Afghan Women's Voices, an interview with bestselling author Nadia Hashimi.
1: Welcome, welcome everyone. Hey there. Hey mom. Well, we're back for another episode of the Confident Podcast. Ooh, ooh. And today we've got a great conversation I'm looking forward to really around advocacy and amplifying voices. And I know for me as a parent, it's live. it's been so important to instill within you advocacy skills, not only so you can make the world a better place, but so that you have the confidence to know that you can take on any challenge or obstacle and that your voice matters and you can make change. Um, I know over the past year you were actively involved and in, in loud for Connecticut's menstrual equity bill, which passed last year, and now um, the child marriage bill, which is passing through the Connecticut Congress. So I think it's it's amazing to see you in action and 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 the impact that you're having. Yeah, I gotta say I think your efforts worked.
2: <laughs> um, I mean, I am so excited to be interning as a public policy intern this summer at Girls Inc. Um, a national women's advocacy organization. And I think that I have grown up with you, you know, encouraging me to be an advocate for whatever I was passionate about. And that was, it really did become instilled in me. And it, it allowed me to harness the power of my voice and realize that no matter what age I am, um, however young, however old, I can always at least do one thing, just one thing to make a difference. I love that.
1: Oh, Liv, you make me so Aww. Proud. Aww. um well, let's get into this conversation with an internationally known author and advocate. Um so let's go. Nadia Hashimi is a
2: pediatrician turned best-selling author who draws on her Afghan culture to craft internationally best-selling books for adults as well as young readers. Her novels span generations and continents taking on themes like forced migration, conflict, poverty, misogyny, colonialism, and addiction. With translations in 17 languages, she's connected with readers around the world. She is also the co-founder of the Afghan American Foundation and an advocate for women and girls in Afghanistan. Welcome to Confident, Nadia.
1: Hi, good morning. I'm glad to be here. And we're so excited to have you. So, Nadia, I feel so honored um, for interviewing you for a second time. Um, I recently interviewed for Live Girls, Women and Girls in Afghanistan, Listen, Learn, Act program, and I learned so much then about the humanitarian crisis and gender apartheid in Afghanistan, and I'm so honored to continue the conversation today and to learn more about your work as an author and advocate.
0: I appreciate that a lot. It's been um it's been a really quiet time, I think, in the media around what's happening with Afghan women. So we really appreciate those people who are paying attention, are noticing, and are looking for ways to be supportive to the cause.
1: Absolutely. Uh, we got to keep the spotlight on this. Um, So before we jump into that, though, we always like to start our confident interviews by asking our guests to tell us something that Google doesn't know about you. And I know that for you, that may be tough. Actually, maybe we should change this question to what chat GPT doesn't know about you. I'm not sure. But um, tell us one thing you think that's not out there yet in the public domain for you. So I think
0: it might be out there that I don't eat meat, um, but, and, and that means that I, I should love vegetables and I really do. I love vegetables, but I cannot stand mushrooms. <laughs> I just don't understand like eating fungus. Uh, it blows my mind. <laughs>
1: No, because I really I love mushrooms.
0: I love mushrooms, too, but... <laughs> I know, it disappoints a lot of people. I've been to sometimes a family's, uh, a Viola's home, and one time I remember they were like, oh, you don't eat meat, so we made you a very special dish, and they handed me this, like, humongous portobello mushroom burger, and I just thought, just give me the chicken instead. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and so diving right into um, more of the heavier questions, um... I know that you immigrated to the United States from Afghanistan as a child. Um, How do your personal experiences and heritage influence your writing?
0: So I actually uh, grew up in the United States. I was born and raised in the United States. My parents immigrated in the early part of the 1970s. um, And my mom actually left the country after getting her bachelor's degree in engineering from Kabul University. And then she had a scholarship that took her to Europe. And so she was there getting her master's degree in engineering. Uh, my father left for economic reasons, looking to you know find other ways to support his family when his studies were disrupted by a lot of protests at the university level. And so you know they came to they came to New York. They landed where a lot of immigrants landed, and and sort of you know had to start from scratch. Um, and so my experiences growing up as an Afghan American were really informed a lot by. The journey of my parents, uh, the journey of my immigrant relatives who would over the years then come to either join us in the United States or travel to other countries to find refuge from conflict, um, as well as watching from a distance, albeit, what was unfolding in Afghanistan and specifically for girls and for women over the years during the conflict.
1: Yeah, and I can't imagine because yeah. I know how connected your parents and you are to Afghanistan to watch those events unfold and for the most recent Taliban takeover. Take over. Um, um, and Afghanistan is currently facing what can only be called a severe humanitarian crisis. Can you tell us how you believe your storytelling and literature even uh, can contribute to raising awareness about what's going on in Afghanistan.
0: So. I I can only know this because of the feedback that I get from readers, right? Readers are the ones who inform me about what the impact really is. Because when I'm writing these stories, I'm writing stories about issues and and topics that are really familiar to me because I think about them a lot and I've kind of grown up with them, Um, but other readers haven't. And it's, it's, you know, not to blame anyone. There's just, we all have so much bandwidth to learn about the cultures around us, about the countries in our world and what's going on there. Um, But I will say that, you know, the feedback that I've gotten from readers has been, um, you know, for one, some people have felt like reading these stories and getting to know even fictional Afghan families and characters and, and women and girls has enabled them to better understand the plight of these individuals and to humanize. I mean, they're already human, but they, I guess, need to be humanized. Um, for the refugees right we hear a lot about refugees we hear a lot of statistics and numbers of people who are fleeing countries um, but it's really hard sometimes to understand what that means and, and who are we talking about until we see either a photograph of a child who's you know washed up on the shores of, uh, of, a, of a European country or we, some people read a novel and then all of a sudden they understand like wow we're really talking about families like moms who are worried about their children. And that's really, you know, what gets some individuals. With my latest book for adults, Sparks Like Stars, what's been interesting is that um, it starts from 1978 at a time when Afghanistan was in, was in peace. And it was sort of like for for diplomats, it was a party post and there was, you know, everyone's having a good time and there are hippies traveling through and wandering around and it's super hospitable and um, and a lot of progressive feelings going on, a lot of culture and art and music. Uh, And then all of a sudden that takes a turn and goes in a different direction. But what readers have, have expressed to me is that, wow, I never realized it was ever like that. And I think that's really important, too, is for people to not just think of Afghanistan as a country of war, of poverty, of destitution, and brutality and misogyny, but also a place where for periods of time and even in the more recent history, Culture, art, music, progress, all of these things have thrived and it's been a peaceful and sweet homeland to a lot of people.
1: Yeah, and you know, in that last program that I mentioned, we had the opportunity to interview Sotaba Wakili, who is um a, a, a cousin of a dear friend who lives with me in New Canaan, Connecticut. And you know, Sotaba was born during that peacetime that you described, and she was able to convey to us just what a wonderful upbringing she had. Um, she was actually pursuing her master's in social work and launching her career with an NGO um, when the Taliban t- took over. She's now in Pakistan and hiding and awaiting a humanitarian visa um, to come to safety. Um, and to your point, like just hearing these stories and reading your books humanizes. You can't look away. When you understand that these are real people and real events unfolding. Um, so you know, I've I've just been so drawn into your books and to help me better understand, as you said, the culture and and what's going on there.
2: Yeah, that's definitely true, especially because I think that, you know, American news is so clickbait. And so sometimes these issues um are they're not talked about in um the news and in the media. And your Books, they're so beautifully written, and they're also so, they open a window into a world that's different than ours, maybe. Um, And I think that's really incredible and so very helpful. Um, I personally have been reading your book since middle school, and I'm currently reading um, Sparks Like Stars. And your novels explore themes of identity, resilience, and the power of female relationships. How do these themes intersect with the larger issues affecting Afghan women today?
0: Well, the the solidarity and the resilience that Afghan women demonstrate, they really have to demonstrate it together. And it's a lot easier, I think, to be to be resilient if you're not alone. Um, and so, you know, there are like networks of advocate women, activist women, women from civil society, um, women who were in the leadership of Afghanistan. Uh, because in the past in the past twenty years. Women had grown to to have quite a bit of a role in government in Afghanistan as well, serving at some really high positions, um, including in the parliament, as judges, as as lawyers, um, as human rights commissioner of the country. So, <clears throat> excuse me, all of these different roles that women played, they were they're together now spread out across the world but working together to try to keep the pressure on international communities to pay attention and to advocate for for Afghan women's rights. Now within the country there are also some you know networks of women and women who are doing this but they're doing it really quietly because during the protests that have been ongoing since the Taliban takeover in 2021 um, during protests, you'll inevitably see that after a protest, women are detained, interrogated, some have been disappeared. Um, and just, you know, once they're detained, we can only imagine what's happening to them behind those closed doors. And when they come out of it, they don't want to talk about it. It's been very quiet. Um, and so and then for the rest of the women in Afghanistan, because of you know the jobs being taken away, because school has been taken away, girls can't go past sixth grade now. And even for a time that was taken away women are restricted more in their movements. So you really have women in isolation, which means they are having a much harder time convening. And that allows the oppression to really flourish. Um, and so that's, that's been an issue. It's, you know, the bonds that women could have the, the cooperativity that they could do when it was a more open society, that's been stripped away from them now, which makes it all the more difficult and has led to a lot of despair, a lot of mental health issues um I had one college student write to me and she said I feel like I'm being buried alive right now.
1: Oh my god, that yeah. just made my heart stop. Um it's it's heartbreaking, it's devastating. Um and I guess my follow-on question would be given this gender apartheid and the almost complete erasure of women and girls from Afghan society, um when we last spoke, you talked about the importance of all of us amplifying the voices of Afghan women. Um, and can you just tell us why, in your mind, that's so important?
0: I think it's because Afghan women—they're um, voiceless, right? They're not—they're uh, not silent. They've actually been in the streets protesting. They're online expressing themselves. Um, they're really doing their best to get their voices out. It's just—you know—are we listening? Are we—are we tuning in? And it's getting harder and harder because the Taliban have been really restrictive on them and there's been a lot of fear-based control. But it's important to pay attention to, especially the women who have like freshly left Afghanistan, have been evacuated, um, or are in these bordering countries waiting for their next steps, just like um, Ms. Wakili that you talked about earlier. And... And that's one thing that I think that's really important for Afghan women themselves is to feel like they're not being saved. None of them are waiting to be saved. They're saying, just give us a chance. And they're literally the experts. They have PhDs, they're policy experts. They, um, I mean, are are like big in their fields. So we have the expertise out there. And there's really no one more qualified to speak to their priorities and their views than the Afghan women themselves, because it's I think it's really dangerous to start assigning priorities to people and start deciding for them. Um, that's essentially what they're fighting against right now. And uh, the best thing that an ally can do is to let that individual speak for themselves.
1: Right. That's so well said. Um, and with this podcast, we'll be posting resources um that for people who want to get more involved, but specific to what you were just saying on Afghan women, are there is there anyone that you would like to mention in terms of a call to action, any women to follow or organizations to support um, during this time?
0: Yeah, I think there's um so there's a group on on Twitter that's called Together Stronger. And uh, I can send you a link for it. That is a it's an unofficial but very powerful group of Afghan uh, women and some allies as well around the world who are advocating on behalf of Afghan women who are advocating and have been even before the fall of Kabul. These, because we, you know, many people in this area of advocacy could see during the U.S.'s negotiations with the Taliban before the downfall in the two years prior that things were going in a really wrong direction. And um, and the negotiations were happening in a way that it made it made everyone really, really nervous because it was at the exclusion of the then Afghan government. Uh, and unfortunately, the deal that the United States made with the Taliban did not mention women once in the in the four pages of the agreement. So so that's why it's really, I think, important to follow these women who have been trying to push for a more rational approach and one that would safeguard the protections and rights and liberties of Afghan women. So I would say go there because a lot of the stuff that's being done by various women across the world ends up in that channel and then dispersed.
2: Yeah. Um, So as an author and advocate, what message would you like readers to take away from your books regarding the plight of Afghan women and what actions do you believe um, individuals or communities can take to support them?
0: That's a great question. Um, you know, I was on a, a news broadcast once and I was one of three people and we were talking about the situation in Afghanistan. It was it was after August of 2021. And um, when I stepped outside afterwards, one of the fellow panelists that I had on that was um, a gentleman who was part of a think tank in D.C., And we were chatting, and he said, well, at least for the past 20 years, we were able to introduce uh, women's rights to Afghanistan, um, speaking as an American. And I said, you didn't introduce it in 20 years. If you had, then how is it possible that my mom had become an engineer? Um, And so that's one of the myths that I think it's really important to dispel, is that anyone has introduced women's rights into Afghanistan, it was there and it was there because the women in Afghanistan and the society of Afghanistan had been progressing in that direction. But during conflict, one of the first things to go is women's rights uh, and that happens around the world. So I think it's really important for people to, to remember that is that this is a culture that is not opposed to women's rights, not opposed to girls' education um, and yet, we we kind of lose sight of of how of that with the the kind of twisted narratives that are out there.
1: Nadia, I think that's such a powerful, yeah. important point um, to remember. Like you said, that you know it's a, it's almost like a, a a call to action to remember that women's rights can be taken away, mm-hmm. and you see what's happening in the United States right now, obviously with reproductive rights. Um, so it's an important call to action for all of us. And I know personally as a parent. Of three. um, I think getting our kids and our next generation involved in advocacy is so very important to develop those advocacy skills and to recognize the importance of their voice. And if if we can help the women and girls in Afghanistan, we can handle any challenge or Mm -hmm. obstacle that comes up in our life through our advocacy skills. So it's so, so important. So thank you for that perspective.
2: Yeah, uh, I think that A lot of times in America, uh, people take on like a sort of savior complex and your point is so right. We need to remember that they're like, you know, the conflict is taking away women's rights. It's not that America put them in, in the first place. Um, but we like to end our questions with a three quick, uh, fun questions for our audience to get to know you. Um, and I'll start what's one gender stereotype that you want to smash?
0: Oh, you know, I, I remember several times over the course of years, as um, my husband and I have a small business together, it's a medical practice and, you know, just household stuff. I will say there are many times that I, I run a lot of the stuff in the household or in the back end of the office and, you know, getting a quote from an insurance broker, for example, or an estimate for work being done at home. And I remember several times in my lifetime, I've had someone say, well, could I speak with your husband or maybe we can speak when your husband is there too. And I just want to like throw something at the wall and say, he's going to tell you to ask me Um, because that's just the way things run. And so I think the assumption that women are not in control of their finances and can't make decisions, administrative decisions or household decisions without the consultation of their husbands. um, That is one stereotype that I would really love to smash. Oh, yeah.
1: uh, we are literally growling yeah. out loud. That's so infuriating. Um And we agree with you. Uh, next question is, who is inspiring you right now? You inspire so many, yeah. Nadia. Who is inspiring you?
0: Uh, you know, I, I love inspiration because I feel like it's such a circular thing. It just keeps moving uh, and it's not a one-way street, right? So a lot of times, I get inspired by readers who reach out to me and talk about, you know, I read this and now I want to go out and do this, or or they tell me about what they're doing and why the why the stories resonate, and that really inspires me. Um, but I think the it's really hard to ignore the people who've come over here in the past two years, and especially these young women. I know some women, young women who've come here on their own, apart from their families. And are having to start fresh, whether they are musicians from the from the women's orchestra or um, a young woman who escaped and then actually left behind a really abusive marriage and now, is now trying to start over and is now learning to play the guitar because she can and she wants to. And that's her decision to do so. So um so I think that's what's really inspiring me right now are these women who were very bold in their in their previous lives and are coming here on their own now and redefining themselves.
2: I love that. Yeah. Um and as we head into summer, what are you obsessed with right now?
0: Oh, okay. Maybe <laughs> a couple different things. One is our family is trying to get a lot healthier with what we're eating. I think my kids are old enough that we can start Moving away from the grilled cheese sandwiches yeah. and like spaghetti and into some more flavorful and healthy recipes. So we've been trying to find creative ways of getting like vegetables and actual nutrients into everybody in the household. That is a wonderful yeah, So throw thing all your chickpea <laughs> recipes at me. Yeah,
1: <laughs> now leads us towards, you know, the flavorful res- recipes mm-hmm. and going to different tasting menus. So that, that is a wonderful thing that happens. Um, Nadia, you're such an inspiration. Um, We are just so honored to talk to you and and thank you for all of your work, both as an author, keep writing, please, and as an advocate. Um, You're doing such incredible work that the world needs. So thank you so much.
0: Oh my gosh, I appreciate it. And you're inspiring me. I mean, I love what you're doing, what you've been able to create, because this is the kind of stuff that, you know, when you are a kid and you're looking at, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? This is not one of the options that people will offer you, but you have created this, Um, this movement, which is really just uh, amazing and empowering so many, probably more than you can realize.
1: Thank you, Nadia.